the Sydney Sentinel would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians on the land on which we gather and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to the Sentinel Speakeasy, the official podcast of the Sydney Sentinel, the independent voice of Sydney, located at sydneysentinel.com.au. It's episode 13 of season three of the Speakeasy. I'm features writer and podcast producer Travis DeJong, and I'll be your host for the next half hour or so of news, current affairs and discussion relating to Sydney. We've got not one, but two guests on the show for you today, writer-director and producer Eric Nash, and joining him is none other than huge Australian talent, actor-producer-director John Jarrett. That's right, Wolf Creek's Mick Taylor is joining us on the show today. These two stellar talents teamed up for the production of the recent 2022 film release, Love You Like That. The film debut for writer-director Eric Nash, this contemporary romantic comedy Love You Like That was made in 2021 and released in February 2022, coinciding with the reopening of cinemas and the lifting of lockdown restrictions across large parts of Australia. In Love You Like That, a melancholy coastal town is changed forever when John Jarrett's character, Roy, discovers a naked young woman washed up on the shores of Mim Beach near his waterfront shack, suffering from amnesia. It's Xanadu meets Summer Bay meets Muriel's Wedding with a little bit of welcome to Whoop Whoop thrown in there for good measure. This film is sweet, charming, funny, uplifting and an Aussie cinematic breath of fresh air. Now from cinemas around the country, this fantastic film is set to hit Aussie screens on Foxtel and Binge from the 9th of May 2022. I spoke with Eric Nash and John Jarrett about the film, what it's like making films in Australia, the joys and challenges of producing in Australia, what success really means, and of course, we talk about Wolf Creek, the horror phenomenon that more recently has made John Jarrett a household name, not just in Australia, but around the globe. Now, if you're a creative, a filmmaking hopeful, or you just have an interest in cinema and TV, you're really going to find this a fascinating interview with these two great Aussies, and that's coming up later on in the show. But as always, first up, here are the top stories you'll find at sydneysentinel.com.au. It's becoming abundantly clear that while the Morrison government and like-minded older folks are happy to ignore climate change and its devastating effects, the younger generation will be left with the tab. The federal government's latest budget has shown its plan to reduce annual climate change spending over the next four years. It's expected to fall from $2 billion next financial year to $1.9 billion, then $1.5 billion and $1.3 billion within the next three years. This stance led students across the state recently to once again go on strike and attend protests. In Sydney, School Strike for Climate held a rally attended by over 5,000 people. While mostly made up of high school students, there were adult volunteers in attendance as strikers or marshals. The rally started at Sydney Town Hall, where guest speakers spoke to the large crowd. Pop singer-songwriter Montaigne energised the crowd with her song Ready, kick-starting the protest. From Town Hall, the protesters marched through the city streets until they reached Liberal Party headquarters. The strikers did not hold back their anger at the federal government's inaction, chanting slogans such as ScoMo loves coal, ScoMo loves gas, put the Liberals in the trash, and raise wages, not the sea, build renewable energy. 
The Sentinel spoke to two of the spokespeople for the rally, Year 12 students Natasha Abawakrama and Bailey Linton-Simpkins. While they weren't eligible to vote in the upcoming federal election, this hasn't stopped them from trying to send a message to the government. Let's have a listen to a clip of audio from Natasha and Bailey talking to the Sydney Sentinel, and then we'll hear some of the chants that echoed through the streets during the school strike for climate change. So, just for the record, what's your name? Natasha Abewakrama, um, School Strike for Climate Organiser. Yep, okay, and you? And I'm Bailey Linton Simpkins, I'm also a School Strike for Climate Organiser. Love. So what exactly are we protesting on, besides obviously climate, but what are the nitty gritty details of it? Yeah, well, the Morrison government, they give about $20,000 per minute to the fossil fuel industry. They know that fossil fuels directly cause the climate crisis that we're seeing right now. Um, And we're here to... Young people are upset and we're frustrated. And as you know, May 21st is coming up really soon, which is election day. And we're here to tell the government that our communities, we're voting for climate and we we won't stand for this inaction. Um, And we also want to send a message to, you know, all politicians that we really need to be represented um, because the climate crisis, we have a timeline um, to solve this. We have about three years to um, take some drastic action and we really need to see that. And I might just add there, it's not just inaction we're fighting against, it's actually acting against what's needed uh, for real climate action. We're still seeing $20,000 a minute in our subsidies to the fossil fuel sector. It's ridiculous. if, if you think that the, the government is trying to act on the climate crisis, then you're believing their lies. Now, for the full story, check out the report by the Sentinel's news editor, Talia Dobson, at sydneysentinel.com.au. For many, attending university in Australia has become a huge financial gamble over the last two years. What was once seen as achievable has slowly morphed into a question of whether students, both domestic and international, can afford the debts. Before COVID-19, fees were somewhat more manageable, with the time taken to repay a higher education loan repayment loan averaging out at about 9.3 years, according to the Australian Tax Office. However, in 2020, under the pretext of the pandemic response, the Morrison government made significant changes to certain university course fees. Degrees perceived to be more about meeting job supply and demand, such as teaching, nursing, languages and agriculture, were given significant reduction in fees of up to 42%. On the other hand, communication and humanity degrees were subject to a steep 115% increase. While the changes had sparked outrage among students, the plan went ahead. However, a new report conducted by the Australia Institute's Centre for Future Work has found that if the next federal government lifted public spending on higher education by just 1% of the country's GDP, undergraduate education could be made free for all and employ tens of thousands of staff, resulting in a huge boost for universities. While the COVID-19 pandemic did wreak havoc on the public tertiary education system, it had already been decimated by decades of funding cuts and government inaction. During the height of the pandemic, more than 40,000 jobs were lost, with 35,000 of those from the public sector. These statistics are something we cannot ignore, according to the Australia Institute's economist and author of the report, Eliza Littleton. Littleton wrote in the report, higher education is at a crossroads. Although it seems the worst of the pandemic is behind us, the implications of the crisis are still unfolding and underlying problems associated with this sector's corporatisation remain.
In the report, she went on to explain that skilled staff who lost their work during the pandemic may never return, and the workloads of remaining staff are increasingly untenable. To survive, universities continue to expect more from and give less to their students and the workforce. With this in mind, there are calls for higher education to be made a higher priority this election. You can read the full story at sydneysentinel.com.au. Some 40 residents have been left homeless or scrambling to find accommodation in a rapidly shortening market after alleged abuse of tenants at a Potts Point property owned by one of Sydney's largest developers. The property, a converted backpackers, is at 30 Darlinghurst Road and is part of the Grand Iris Capital Development, otherwise known as the Bourbon Development. It was until recently heavily promoted for short to long-term leases in an area with an acute accommodation shortage. Rents range from $275 per week for an 18-square-metre room to around $350 per week for larger rooms. Plans for the development call for the demolition of the entire site from 18 Darlinghurst Road to 32A Darlinghurst Road to build new hotel sites, hotel accommodation, various street-level retail spaces and 52 apartments. Notices to vacate by the 17th May due to impending demolition were delivered to tenants earlier in the year. By that time, the premises at 30 Darlinghurst Road, formerly known as the Deluxe Backpackers, had become severely damaged by water, with the entire seven floors and around 40 apartments affected by mould and damp, in addition to claims that rubbish was not being removed. A spokesperson for the Tenants' Union of New South Wales said, In circumstances where a premises is about to be demolished, it is unlikely that the landlord can demonstrate both appropriate mitigation for their loss and any substantial costs associated with damage undertaken by a tenant. Where there are no plans for anyone else to live in the property, there is no compensation due. Writing to the Sentinel in March, the president of Potts Point and Kings Cross Heritage Conservation Society, Andrew Woodhouse, said when he inspected the property, it was dilapidated and run down. The odour, the mould and damp was at dangerously high levels and the building was a public safety hazard and generally uninhabitable. The residents had been complaining about the mould and damp for at least six months, he said. A tenant interviewed in the article said he felt mistreated and bullied by the agent after informing that he was going to vacate. In February, the tenant reports that the building set for demolition was in a state of significant disrepair with rodent problems, a severe cockroach infestation, electrical problems and leaking issues. The tenant reported that the agent allegedly replied that they wanted three weeks' notice and required the property had to be cleaned thoroughly or risk losing those cleaning costs taken from their paid bond, despite the property being scheduled for demolition. In response to questions from the Sentinel about the bullying tactics from agents, the Tenant Union of New South Wales spokesperson said, real estate agents are bound by a professional code of conduct when where a renter feels intimidated by the real estate agent due to inappropriate conduct, they can make a complaint to New South Wales Fair Trading. In an official statement, he said, in practice, we know that many tenants do not feel comfortable to make a complaint as they are concerned about possible retaliation and agents have a powerful impact on whether someone can secure a new rental in the future. The Tenants Union of New South Wales' advice is that renters can seek to have their rent reduced where facilities, services or goods have been reduced or withdrawn by the agent and that tenants should contact their local tenants' advice and advocacy service for assistance. The grandiose development, dubbed Queensgate, is offering one-bedroom apartments with no views for the bargain price of $1.8 million, stretching up to $16 million for a penthouse well out of the reach of most Sydney siders, let alone the former tenants of 30 Darlinghurst Road. There's a lot more to this story and you can read the full article at sydneysentinel.com.au. Last week, the latest Australian consumer price inflation figures were released, confirming what most of us already knew. 
inflation is rising sharply. Consumer prices surged by 2.1% during the March quarter, while the annual rise of 5.1% is the highest in more than 20 years. Amidst these gloomy figures, a Climate Council of Australia report tends to castles, says Australians would make significant savings in addition to helping the environment if home energy efficiency standards were improved. The report's findings suggest that living in a seven-star all-electric house in central Sydney would have occupants saving $225 per year compared to those living in homes built to the current standards of six stars. Further to Sydney's west, where temperatures are higher in the summer, resident savings could increase to $400 per year. The report also found that updating the National Construction Code to ensure all new buildings in Australia are built to a minimum seven-star standard would save 46,000 tonnes of CO2 from being released each year. The report comes as state and territory ministers prepare to meet in July to review 11-year-old regulations on government minimum energy efficiency standards in new homes. With the release of the report, the Climate Council is now calling on ministers to modify the National Construction Code to increase the standard from six stars to seven stars. Delaying modifications to the code could see power bills and emissions locked in at higher levels, according to the Climate Councillor, leading economist and co-author of Tents to Castles, Nikki Huntley. The Climate Council is encouraging residents to join their cause and email their local MP to urge the adoption of their recommendations, such as implementing mandatory energy efficiency disclosure at point of sale, phasing out gas from all new housing developments by 2025, and ensuring housing standards are prepared for rising climate extremes. You can check out the full article at sydneysentinel.com.au. Those are just some of the top news headlines at the Sydney Sentinel. In addition to those news items, there's also a bevy of fantastic arts and entertainment features that are definitely worth checking out, including the story of Australian artists George Gittos and Helen Rose, who are on the front line in the Ukraine, documenting the effects of the ongoing Russian invasion. We also step at the history of the SCG, and we take to the catwalk as Australian Fashion Week kicks off in Sydney, plus there's a whole lot more. Remember, for more news as well as a huge range of arts and entertainment content, feature articles interviews, opinion and queer vegan and news content, visit sydneysentinel.com.au. You can also find us on Facebook at The Sydney Sentinel and on Instagram and Twitter where our handle is sydney underscore sentinel. Now it's time for our special guests. And we've got not one but two guests on the show for you today. Eric Nash is writer, producer and director and joining him is none other than huge Australian talent, actor, producer and director himself, John Jarrett. That's right, Wolf Creek's Mick Taylor is joining us on the show today. These two stellar talents teamed up for the production of the 2022 film release, Love You Like That. The film debut for writer-director Eric Nash is a contemporary romantic comedy. Now, Love You Like That was made in 2021, but released in February 2022, coinciding with the reopening of cinemas and the lifting of lockdown restrictions across many parts of the country. Love You Like That begins with John Jarrett's Roy discovering a naked young woman washed up on the shores of Min Beach near his waterfront shack. Suffering from amnesia, this mysterious stranger has an instant effect on the residents of Roy's small coastal town, particularly dating app developer Harrison, played by Mitchell Hope, who you might recognise from the Disney Channel. Very soon, nothing is as it was in the town before. The film was shot in and around famous beachside Sydney suburb of Cronulla. With its bright sunny locations, off-the-wall supernatural plot twists, romantic developments and a host of fantastic performances, especially from the incomparable Steph Teasdale, the country cops played by John Harding and Jacob Barnes, Aliwa Jacks who plays the mysterious girl Mim and of course John Jarrett who plays the man who finds her. It's sweet, charming, funny, uplifting and so Aussie in its sensibility. 
This film is an Aussie cinematic breath of fresh air. It's Xanadu meets Summer Bay meets Muriel's Wedding with a little bit of welcome to Whoop Whoop thrown in for good measure. Now, from cinemas around the country, this fantastic debut film by Eric Nash is set to hit Aussie screens on Foxtel and Binge from the 9th of May 2022. Now, John Jarrett and Eric Nash joined me in the studio before to talk about what it was like making this movie, what it's like making films in Australia, the joys and challenges of producing in Australia, what success really means. And of course, we had to talk about Wolf Creek that more recently has made John Jarrett a household name, not just in Australia, but around the world. In fact, when we just talked, he's in the production of Wolf Creek 3. So there's so much to talk about there. Now, if you're creative, a filmmaker, hopeful, or you just have an interest in cinema and TV, you're really going to find this a fascinating and helpful interview with these two Aussie greats. Let's have a listen to that interview now. Eric Nash and John Jarrett, thank you so much for joining us on The Sentinel Speak Easy this morning. How are you? Very well indeed. Fantastic. Okay, there's a lot to talk about, so I'm going to start by asking Eric. Congratulations on making Love You Like That. Is this your first feature film? Uh, this is the second one I've written. I wrote a horror first and that got picked up, and but this is my first directorial debut, they would say. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So Love You Like This, is so, it's a beautiful film. It's sort of really surprising romantic comedy, which I've got to tell you is not generally my favourite genre, but I really do love this film. It's got a, a really beautiful feel of Australiana about it. It's like kind of a bit of the mystical and magical Xanadu, a bit of that's in there. And it's really a, a beautiful tale about love, the light and the darkness of love in a genuinely feel-good, likeable movie. Can you tell us a bit about, about the genesis of this film and what it's about? and how it came to be. Without giving too much away, I do have an unhealthy knowledge of a certain mythology and uh, I know a lot about it, but I'm not giving too much away because it's a mm-hmm. bit of a spoiler in the film. And I just, I've always wanted to kind of touch a base on th- those stories, but I wanted to do it in a very modern way, I guess, you know, not make it subtle, not not put it in your face and, mm-hmm. uh uh, and and so I just decided to you know I, I I live on you know on the coast of Australia and and it's absolutely gorgeous you know here and um I'm, and I just thought I'm just gonna shoot this in my backyard you know and <laughs> why not you know and it it's beautiful like you know as a lot of Australian films really you know hit heavy on outback and a lot of those type of things and there's so much nothing more in that. Australia nothing wrong with or, outback. Well, they've yeah. got murderous people out there true. called Mick Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, funny, you I'll say that. knocking my films. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say, you say it's in your backyard, but, I mean, you, you know, we're talking about some of the most beautiful sections of, you know, beach and coast in Australia. Um, one of the things I really love about this movie, again, without giving too much away, is the way it echoes a lot of classic Australian films that people would know and love. I'm talking about, like, there's elements of, like, a bit of Muriel's Wedding in there. You know, yeah, it's a lot of yeah. the camp comedy and stuff. It's got a lot of welcome to whoop whoop that kind of sensibility about it it's it's really like that's a deep pool welcome to whoop whoop that's great <laughs> yeah oh, I, look, what, uh, you know one of my favorite films and one of my favorite kind of time periods for making australian movies as well and it's kind of something you don't see that much of these days we tend to be more lofty or incredibly murderous we know that we're very good with making horror what made you write this movie like i'm so it was actually produced last year right so what made, what made you write this movie I, I, I think, you know, I mean, well, number one, um, my new investor, you know, I, I like writing horror. I like kind of writing, you know, that kind of stuff. My new investor hates horror. 
And he said, what else do you have? And I kind of put a pen to paper with Love You Like That probably 10 years ago. And it was just being sitting there. And I said to him, I've got this kind of romantic comedy that I was playing around with. He goes, let's do that. I said, well, you're the money. Let's go. So um, that's really the reason I kind of I got into writing Love You Like That. But I just, you know, things like Love Actually um, really resonated with me when I first watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a sucker for those type of movies and it just really spoke to me. And, and you know, just being completely honest, I wanted to have m- my own version of Love Actually, you know, yeah. and having all these different stories and they all come together at the end. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it's definitely that. There's multi-layered stuff and, and also... And, and, an to be, and, to be, and to be honest... You've got to have the the quintessential Australian man in it, and then I thought John Jarrett well, perfectly <laughs> led me perfectly into my next question, which is actually going to be for John. I mean, you know, we will get to questions about Wolf Creek later because I mean, I think my audience would kill me if I didn't ask you questions about that. But that's a bit later on. How did oh, someone who is known for being, you know, probably the most terrifying villain ever portrayed on screen? How did you come into uh, come to be in a movie about love? Well, when you talk about um known for horror, I walked straight out of McLeod's daughters playing lovely little nice guy Terry, uh, the the country guy who loved everybody, Mm -hmm. uh, to become Mick Taylor. So it's I became Mick Taylor because I read a script and I thought if this guy can put it on the screen, this is going to be great. I don't care what genre it is. People say, what film, what's your favourite genre? And I said, the next best script is sent to me, you know. I don't give a damn what it is as long as it's well written and there's three things you need to make a film, the script, the script and the script. And that's what drew me to it. I thought it was uh, wacky and uh, and it was charming and it was funny and um, it was romantic comedy but it was was for – grown-ups as totally, well. Totally, totally. It's got feel-good stuff, but also, like, it really does. It, it, it's multi-multi-level, isn't it? It's- and it's really brave. And I said to kid, this is going to be just, it's going to be one of two things. It's going to really work or it's not going to work at all. And uh, it really works um, because it's very brave what he does with that um, mysterious stuff that he didn't want to talk about at the beginning to not spoil the film. So... For all those reasons, and um, it's well written and it's funny, mm. very important. Funny is very important. Yeah. Mick Taylor's funny, you know, yeah. just because humor is is very important. And um, this is chock a block with humor. You tear up at the end. It's it's um, with the, the the mum and the son, and you tear up with uh, the copper and the love of his life. And yeah. again, don't want to put any spoilers in, but uh-huh. you know. You tear up about all sorts of um, I, I, people. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I, I actually found myself tearing up a lot. I was bawling quite a lot. And by the end of the film, I was a complete mess. And I'm not someone who cries easily. But I just mm. remember thinking, God, how, how long has it been since I've seen a movie that really kind of lifted me up in that way? And that's not to say that all the storylines in it are yeah, happy, happy really ending. Well. I think, I think mm. that you nailed it with that. That's probably not since Muriel's Wedding, I think. Mm. 
Yeah, which interestingly enough is one of those movies that I, I think is also one of the darkest movies ever made in Australia because it is kind of a bit of a sad. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? It's kind of it's kind of a sad movie about this woman who's so desperate about wanting to get married and all those things about Australian culture as well. You know, Deirdre yeah. Chambers, what a coincidence! You know, Australian politics, all of those things. But yeah. it's also hysterically funny, and I feel yeah. like this movie is very much like that as well. Yeah. Um, one one, um, one of the things. One of the things is that I think that I really wanted to make sure that we really targeted was the nine to fivers out there, the mum and dads that, you know, they work hard and, and you know, and just well, anyone really that you know, they work hard and they want to come home or go to the movies and watch a movie that's just going, they, they don't have to think. They can just sit and be entertained and enjoy. And, you know, I've been an audience member. We've all been audience members where we just want to do that. Mm. And that's why I think Love You Like That works with an audience. Critics do not like the film. <laughs> no, it's interesting that you mentioned that. And it's really interesting that you mentioned that because we have had a bit of a chat about this before today's interview. And, and you surprised me when you said that, that the critics really didn't like it, but audiences love it. And what I love yeah. about that kind of particular setup is that it's really hard to make a movie that audiences are going to love, something that audiences authentically love. Like that's, you can't fake that. But, yeah. I mean, critics, you can always, can, it can be a bit lofty or whatever, but if you like a movie, but you that, like the that's movie. The whimsical, that's the whimsical other end of, of movies that um, Australia suffers from. Yeah. I mean, I did Wolf Creek. It was the biggest um, film in 21 years. Um, it was the number one film by Country Mile. It went all over the world. It went to Sundance and all of those festivals, Khan. And I could, didn't get a nomination for Best Actor. Wow. I think that explains Australia all over. That's so know. weird to me. <laughs> like, that, like, you know, here's this film that he's, has huge international he's, success. These poppy-nosed yep. parts yeah. who, who think they know everything mm. in the media and in, in the upper echelons of um, funding bodies and places like mm. this are uh, such a boring bunch of bastards, I can't mm. tell you. Yeah, and, uh, we don't have the spark of um, variety in uh, the Hollywood papers. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what it suffers from, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, well, it's funny, isn't it? Tall poppy syndrome is as alive today as it ever was. And also, yeah. the other thing, the conversation that often comes up when I'm talking to artists, whether it's mm. actors, yeah. you know, performers, any anybody, is that we, we constantly talk about this lack of, of leadership. And you know, a lot of people who are reviewing and that sort of thing these days, I think, really lack experience and breadth of knowledge of the Australian industry. Now, I mean, I know I know that earlier before I, I said, um, you know, that you're most known for Wolf Creek and stuff, but you. Also also have an incredible career, very versatile career, John Jarrett. I mean, in terms of, you know, film and TV, you've done, you know, better, but I'm thinking like Better Homes and Gardens, McLeod's Daughters you mentioned before, you know, you're very versatile, a very talented actor and someone who's actually quite acclaimed. Do, do, do you feel a, like a respected actor in this industry? By the people that matter, yeah, yeah. and that's that's my audiences and, um, and people who want to employ me, filmmakers, Treat me well. Again, I think the biggest problem is the way our products treated us are asked to, to yeah. make something. You're just up against it because of that local culture, that cultural cringe. Mm. Um, if it's Australian, it can't be that good. If, mm. if, if it's released in LA and everyone loves it, suddenly everyone will say it's good back yeah. here. It's really tough. Uh, I think everyone's tough on our product. Yeah. And um, yeah. 
And then and, you, and, and no, no and one you, more tough you, than us, right? Like we're sometimes we can be yeah, the toughest critics. Yeah, but you do things like with my film that I've just made. We're in lock off, and it's going to be released in July. Called What About Sal, which is about a, a Down syndrome guy. And I went to Screen Australia, and um, the woman who who read my script and put it down, the only person who's put it down. Um, I IMDb'd her and she'd done three episodes of um, Heartbreak <laughs> High in 1993. <laughs> yeah. So you get someone like me who's been around for 48 years and made about 48 movies or whatever. Wow, yeah. Um, being being um, schooled by this person who can't get a gig on Heartbreak High. Yeah, see, that's tough. It, that's tough. And, you know, it's a story that I hear time and time again, and especially for people making art. You know, like, it's kind of like the gatekeepers, you know, they've always been gatekeepers in the arts, but, like, they've changed quite drastically. And also they've become people who I think, you know, I'm all, I'm all fine for, for that, but, you know, when they don't have the wealth of experience and a little bit more kind of broad scope of the, that moment after the Muriel's wedding and Welcome to Warp Up and stuff, all films of which, you know, almost didn't get made. Well, when I think about Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, almost a film that never got made. And I think and, about and, the Opera House, a thing that got the, wind, you know, and like here's that ballroom and yeah. all that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. That was just potluck, um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get anything out of Screen Australia. Um, it, it's very, very difficult. So yeah. the fact yeah. that I two films together without when private investment, I think I'm right, am I, mate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, against the odds and um, and and then things like Strictly Ballroom, um, private investor came in and, you know, five minutes yeah. to midnight and look at what that's done for Baz, you know. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's really tough. And, yeah. And- I, I, think, I think we live in, I think Australia, you know, I think really well with independent cinema. And, you know, my, my advice, and, and I'm, I'm constantly giving people advice, um, you know. It never uh, stops. It never stops. <laughs> 100% it never stops. You know, yeah. you know I've, I've got, you know, filmmakers that are, you know, they're, they're probably 10 short films deep. And they come up to and they say, Eric, you know what I mean? Like, how did you get it? How did you get a film up? And honestly, that there's no magic theory. There's not. You've yeah. just you've got to put yourself out there. And my, and my advice to young or up and coming filmmakers is, you know, when you when you go and speak to investors, you know, what I mean, investors are everywhere, and they're, yeah. they're not. You know what I mean? I met mine at a wedding. You know yeah, what I mean? Wow. And we just got talking and 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 that that was it, you know. And he and I now, you know, are great mates and we we work with each other a lot and yeah. it's brilliant. But the thing is what young and upcoming filmmakers need to understand is they really push the product. Investors don't invest in products. Well, that this is my theory, mm-hmm. is they don't invest in products, they invest in the person. And yeah, right. Well, it's about can, relationships, you mean. Yeah. 100% because yeah. They, they, every, all my experience has been people that, are, that have invested in me. Yeah. And uh, um, so that's my advice. You know, I think, um, like, like John was saying, and, and, and like you were saying, Travis, you know, the, the days of murals and Priscilla and Strictly Ballroom, you know what I mean? Independent cinema. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, because they have the freedom to tell their story, they have the freedom yeah. to make the mistakes, to, 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 you know, cut the teeth on something. And, yeah. and, and that, that's what it comes down to, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, a- it's just, it's just, it's, it's one of the things, one of the things, you know, I, I had a lot of people say to me, you know, why, 
why did you 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 pick John Jarrett to play Roy? Yeah, and especially and, and unfortunately, you know, you know, John gets hit with the Mick Taylor all the time. And like I can says, imagine, you know, I can imagine it's a double so many sport, other, Yeah, he's done so many other wonderful things, and yeah. and the first moment I I met John for just kind of going through the film. And, and I said to him, I said, the, the reason why I chose you is you're, you're in another horror film called Rogue. And I said, and you played a, a, a man, a widow, yeah. that his wife has passed away. Yeah. I said, and, and you wanted to scatter her ashes. And I said, there was a scene that if you blink your eyes, you'll miss it. But he's on the boat and he secretly just pours her ashes into the water. The, the look on his face the way that that John portrayed that moment in that character's life yeah. just sold me straight away. Yeah. And that's where you find those little hidden gems. And mm. apart from the fact John is just Australian, you know, gold mm. in film, mm. you, you still you still have to pay the man respect on those little moments. Absolutely. One thing is 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 murdering people or what like everyone just knows <laughs> before, but then there's other things where he is a fine actor. Absolutely. And and then I'm like, that's what I want to work with. And that's why I knew that yeah. they could pull off Roy, not a problem. Absolutely. I mean, that, that is, I, I love that you've said, actually, for, firstly, let's address the, the first point that you made about, you know, people wanting, if they want to make things, they have to be ready to kind of, um, to it, that it's about relationships. And absolutely, I mean, I the one thing I've learned as an artist and talking to artists is that, there is a market, no matter what you want to make, there is a market in this world for it. The, the trick is to connect to the people who are interested in those, those things. And, and part of that is just talk to everyone about it. This is what I want to do. This is my vision, you know, that sort of thing. And so it is really about selling that. The other thing is about John Jarrett. And, you know, to me the sign of a good actor is somebody who really lets you into the moment. And, and, and like, whether it's Wolf Creek or... Or, or the moment that you just mentioned before in um, the Rogue movie, it's it's about letting people in. And something that in Love You Like That, all the actors in that really have this lovely way of drawing you in to their lives and to their story, whether it's, you know, the, the lead character who uh, I don't want to give again away too, too much about but is so perfectly cast. The casting is fantastic. And then, of course, you've got Stephanie Teasdale, who's just hysterical. I mean, the, yeah, one, of my, one of my signs of a good film is lines that are repeatable. The, and- the actors are really fantastic. There's yeah. not a weak performance and Eric picked extremely well. So he does have a good eye for what people can do. Yeah, yeah. Was it fun making this movie? Uh, except for <laughs> Except for me. <laughs> oh, someone's got to crack Listen, the can I, I, I do want to say, so our, our, first, our, first week, our first week of shooting, we're out on the boat and, mm-hmm. uh, um, and day one we're out on the boat and it, we were shooting all these scenes and we were running a little bit behind time and we were, we were trying to get to John's scene. Day one, John's up on the, the, the deck He's fast asleep through the whole day and we didn't even get to his scene. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, hey, I'm sorry I didn't get to his scene. He's like, I don't care. I was sleeping up on a boat. <laughs> yeah, I can sleep anywhere. Oh that's, oh, that's such a skill. That is a skill in itself. I wish I could do that. <laughs> well, because there's, I've done two things in my life, acting and waiting. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yes, well, with, that, with acting, there is a lot of waiting around, isn't there? I mean, you know, there's while well, you're waiting for things to be set up and shot and all that sort of stuff, and then in between jobs, there's a lot of waiting. 
Well, I do the acting for nothing. I get paid for waiting around. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, I love that. I love that. I look at the script. I thought, how much waiting around? Oh, I get him for a million. I think there's going to be a lot of waiting around. No, no, you're not just an actor, John. You're, you're also, like, you've produced stuff, you've directed stuff. To, to mm. what extent has, I mean, firstly, would, would you consider... And, and written stuff. And written stuff, <laughs> and written stuff, absolutely. Would you say that... Was Wolf Creek a, a real game changer for you career-wise? Because, like, you had done a lot beforehand and and since. Did you feel that was a bit of a game changer? And, like, did that in any way help you facilitate your own creations? Like, you know, did that get you a foot in the door when it came to pitching to people? Or, I've, or been kind of, I've been kind of blessed. Um, yeah. I, I came, walked out a night or an eight months later I was in Picnic at Hang Rock. And then in 1980, most of you were born, I played... Ned Kelly in The Last Outlaw, a mini-series, mini yeah. and I got best actor for it. And for about seven or eight years, I was everyone called me Ned. Now they call me Mick. And um, so, I, and then I went straight from that to Fields of Fire 1, 2, and 3, which was an extraordinarily um, successful Australian mini-series. Mm -hmm. And in the UK, it went really well in Europe. And then in between acting, I've... Um, I come from a family of builders, and when my wife got pregnant with my first kid, I bought a block of land and built a house with yeah, my wow. brother and my dad. And so in between acting to keep me out of soap operas, I've never, I have never watched an episode of Neighbours or any of those things. I hate, I hate them. I hate reality yeah. TV. I hate the whole <laughs> bloody thing. Yeah. Uh, so in between acting, I'd, I'd make a movie and I'd come back to um, Scotland Island where I lived and I'd work with these builders, Johnny Rossini, Rossini's Raiders, we were called, and I'd walk in there. I'd just walk straight back into building. So I was yeah. an actor builder for many years. Yeah. So, um, and that's what got me better homes and gardens. And I, I, I that was another yeah. different fame altogether. And yeah. I looked out of that and walked into Mick Taylor. So I've, I've had a ride where um, I've been relevant um, from the beginning till now. Yeah, across, and really across a whole range of the like, whole scope yeah. of things. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were just the, the landmarks. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I've been very blessed, really. Yeah. So was something like Wolf Creek more of a, a, a more of a curse than a blessing in some respects? Because, I mean, you know, it did kind of, you know how people get kind of pigeonholed after that? Was that a bit no, of that? No, no, I don't, don't think so. Um because I've continued to work in um, nothing has been as successful as that. I mean, I've made, I have made about 48 films or some damn thing, but probably, yeah. probably 10 of them have done any good, you know. So, yeah. so the, the um, ones that don't make it or don't, you know, don't become classical or, mm -hmm. or whatever, uh, there's a fair few of them. Uh, and I have made a lot of other things between yeah. Wolf Creek to 2004. Till today, I've been involved in a lot of different things. Yeah, and the only I was in Dan Django for a minute. Yeah, um, it's I, I did. I remember you pop like I remember watching that. That's, that's, like, oh, that's, that, that's yeah. the only other really highly successful film I've been in mm -hmm. since I started the Wolf Creek stuff. But I've been in a, a many and buried film yeah. and TV. Course. And and Mick Taylor's fine. It's the gift that keeps on giving, and we're going to try and do Wolf Creek. Three this year, and um, yeah, right. So you're in the process of making that at the moment, right? And then series three, and next year, and then you know, 
Mick takes over an old people's home after that. <laughs> oh my god! Well, yeah, that's 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 reality TV. That's. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, come down, I'll come down the footpath on one of those little motorized scooters <laughs> with spotlights on it and turn left into the outback nurse uh, old people's home and mow a whole heap of them down while they're doing lawn yeah. bowls. Like that yeah, would be amazing. And realize it's artificial. This- He's just going to kill all the old guys with a whole heap of blue pills. Oh, I love Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Sticks as far as the eye can see. I love there it. You go. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so funny. So, look, so Love You Like That comes out on Foxtel as of the 10th of May, which is um, the day after this goes to air. Um, have either of you got any projects that you're excited about that you're working on now? Um, I've got a couple um, that are, are brewing, hopefully, um, that uh, I'll get the green light within the next month or so. I do have a new horror that I'll be pitching. Fantastic. Um, and, uh, and I've got a comedy drama that uh, hopefully will be picked up soon. Um, it looks like it will be. Both of those I won't be putting John Jared in because I don't like working with him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you, if you decide, I don't to work. believe it for a second. <laughs> if I decide to work, <laughs> no, um, I really, I'm really looking forward to working with with John again. Um, yeah, it, so that that's what we've got. Uh, that's what I've got coming. Up. I've got a couple of TV shows that you know that I've that I'm wanting to pitch as well. So yeah, COVID really put me writing to a writing mode so I, i've just been kind of yeah i've just been writing I've, I've got five scripts that are ready to pitch i've got three tv shows that are ready to pitch so you know as, as harsh and sad covid was it actually was a bit of a blessing for for me it gave me that opportunity just to write and it's been fantastic it's been good yeah so i'm over it i don't want to write anymore yeah um i want to get back on set and start you know kind of yeah. But yeah, no, it, it'll it'll be good, and you know, love you like that has start to um open up a few more doors. Um, you know, my, you know, our life in the creative world, it's a constant hustle, and it will yeah. always be a hustle no matter what. But yeah, so we're we're really happy. You know, we're going international with love you like that within the next couple of months. Yeah. Um, you know, we're getting a lot of big interest in the film. Um, especially over in Europe because it just looks like home and away on steroids. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's a good way of describing it in some respect. Um, they, it's they heaps better than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, you know, that's what we've yeah. got going on. So, Thanks, um, Eric. Uh, John, what, John, what do you have got going John, on? John, what have you got going Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I made my film, What About Sal, which is about Down syndrome. Yeah. Who loses his mum um, because she smokes too much and gets lung cancer and, Goes in search of his dad, who's and he finds him, and he's a drunk. So, wow. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a good little story about this Down syndrome man, played by Jared O'Dwyer, who's brilliant, um, who who overcomes tragedy and makes a life for himself. That's so, right. Did you write this yourself? Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. And, wh- and where can we where can we can we expect to see this anywhere soon? Well, I- Icon's distributing it. Great. Um, yeah, right. general release I, around July, August. They never t- say exactly when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's mid, middle, middle to late, um, middle mid years, July, August, somewhere. Like that. Yeah. So that's that's ready to rock and roll. Uh, I'm currently um, developing a biopic on Jeff Fennick, who's a fantastic yeah, the boxer, insanely talented, probably, arguably 
the best boxer that ever lived, four world titles undefeated, and right. brilliant story. And uh, that's called With These Hands because he did it with broken hands. And uh, so we're raising that. Yeah. And I got another film, uh, comedy western called Passing Winds. Um, <laughs> it's just like Blazing Saddles. I'm getting kind of vibes of Blazing well, Saddles. Well, it's a cross between Blazing Saddles and Crocodile Dundee, basically. Oh, I love it. it sounds amazing. In fact, Crocodile D's great grandfather's in it, and his name's Donkey Dundee, and it's not because of his big ears. <laughs> love it. His big love ego. It. Well, <laughs> these uh, these are amazing projects, and we will definitely have to speak to you about them as soon as they they, they make yeah, their yeah. on screens. We'd love yeah. that. So please keep us abreast of all of that. John Jarrett yeah. and Eric Nash, thank you so much for joining us on the Sentinel Speakeasy today. Your film that uh, you're both in and Produced everything is called Love You Like That, and it hits uh, Fo- Foxtel, I believe, on Foxtel the- and Binge, yeah, Foxtel and Binge on the tenth from the tenth of May, twenty twenty two. I can't recommend it enough. Watch this movie, even if you think I'm I'm not a huge fan of romantic comedies. Trust me, just grab some popcorn and Friends or the one you love or whatever. You will not regret it. It's a great movie. Thank you guys for joining us. And that was writer, producer, and director Eric Nash. And joining him, none other than the huge Australian talent, that is John Jarrett. Now, Nash's debut film, Love You Like That, hits Aussie screens via Foxtel and Binge from the 9th of May 2022. As always, links for more info are in our podcast notes. Check out this gorgeous film. It is such a winner. And, of course, stay tuned to the Sydney Sentinel for news on all of those exciting projects that both Eric Nash and John Jarrett have in the pipeline that we talked about in the interview. So exciting to know that such a Great artists and making work. Very exciting news. Sadly, that brings us to the end of this episode. New episodes of the Sentinel Speakeasy go to air every Tuesday from 5pm. You can tune in on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Buzzsprout, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, for more news as well as a huge range of arts and entertainment content, feature articles, interviews, opinion, and queer vegan and news content, visit sydneysentinel.com.au. You can also find us on Facebook at The Sydney Sentinel and on Instagram and Twitter where our handle is sydney underscore sentinel. Thanks so much to Eric Nash and John Jarrett for their time. And thank you so much to you, our listeners and readers, for joining us. I will catch you next week. Bye for now.